Congrats to the Polyarch homies, whom, including this episode, now account for one-sixth of the interviews done on this young podcast for shipping their second game, Moss 2, on VR. I've picked up my copy and urge anyone with a PSVR to do the same. This episode goes out to the new homie, Chin Hei, fellow tech designer at Epic working out of Shanghai, who's dealing with another lockdown. It's been two damn years that COVID has been altering the way we work and live, and there's still major cities out there trying to contain this thing. He helped me wrap my head around the particularly tricky redirect flow that I would have still been bagging my head against the wall on. Episode 30, I'm a closet numerologist who geeks out about patterns and base powers of five and tens, even and odd. And so for these decasodes, yeah, I made that up. It's my show. I do and say what I want. I make it a point to bring on someone whom I have a deep rapport with in and around games and personally. 10 was Danny Buller, 20 was Ryan Parody, and 30 is Chris Barrasso. We've seen some shit together. I hope you enjoyed this one. I know I enjoyed putting it together. With all that said, hit my music. On episode 30 of the Game Developers Podcast, Out of Play Area, I sit down with Chris Barrasso, a great homie, fellow outlaw to the end that shipped Red Dead Redemption 1 alongside of fellow Full Sail 2006 alumni and now design director at Polyarch. We break down his contributions on the first VR title Moss and walk through the combat and AI design. We also talk about the responsibilities he's currently facing as a design director and then walking through what led him to Full Sail, his first VR internship on Unreal, what it was like breaking in at Rockstar San Diego to work on Midnight Club LA, we talk about the power of networking and share tips on interviewing. We talk about the hard lessons learned working in mobile and at startups and more. Please welcome, by way of Haverhill, Massachusetts, now residing in the Emerald City that is Seattle, Chris Barassa. Let's fall the fuck out. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast a show by video game devs for game devs where the guests open up one-on-one -on -one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. Definitely try to like Friday, log off, go upstairs, see the family, and it's like, I got to just turn everything off and then it's like Sunday night you start remembering what you were doing on Friday you start being like right this bug's still open you know I was like I'll deal with that on Monday and then you just turn it off and then Sunday night you're like oh shit that's still there <laughs> it's, it's like, like you shove it, it into the closet and you open the closet oh that could have been waiting for me sometimes the closet door just busts back open doesn't even wait for you to open it Kool-Aid man style <laughs> oh yeah I'm still here <laughs> What's up? And then some of them, you're like, you're still going to be there too. <laughs> you shove it back in like, yeah, I'm going to put you off to like next sprint or next milestone. Dude, we like a sea bug. You might actually ship with the game. <laughs> Just get back in there. You put a little, a pretty little bow. You do the hair just right. You'd be like, look, nobody, nobody. Now you're a feature. You. Now you're a feature. <laughs> now you're nicely dressed. You're ready for the wide world. As long as you don't embarrass me, you can, you can come to the show. <laughs> Congratulations on making it to season two. <laughs> I know you said like, what was it? Like episode nine was supposed to be like the podcast turtle. Yes. Like a lot of them die at nine. Like 80% of them don't get to 10. So that was the hump. And now you're like 
screw it, I'm past that. So I got seasons now. We get to say whatever we want, however we want. You know, you just got to worry about your family hearing it. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I am happily employed. So there are, I have to answer to some people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And you're like part owner, right? You have like equity and stuff. We do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So your interests are aligned one-to-one with your employer's interests. Very much so. Which seems to be going good. I've actually been called out. I've been called out for showing too much favoritism to Polyarch because you will be <laughs> the fifth Polyarch employee on my podcast out of, you know, I don't know. We're going to be like at probably almost in the 30s. And to that, I say, my friend, it's not like I go to Polyarch and I'm like, yo, I want you guys on my show. I go to my homies and I say, I right. want you guys on my show. <laughs> we just all happen to work there. You all happen to work there. That's all it is. Right. I mean, it's just the showing of networking, right? And a lot of your network happens to be a Polyarch right now. I hear it's a pretty special place, man. They treat you guys well over there. It's been a lot of fun. Super collaborative. I can honestly say it is the best place I've worked. What was it like? Because you were like employee 10 or something like that. No, I was 14. We did Moss 1 with 15 employees and I came in at 14. I made it in right before the door shut before we were like, okay, it's time to make this game. They brought in the big guns to help (laughs) close this thing. We can call it that, check. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching a recent Dev Reacts on IGN, and it was you and Danny. Danny was on episode 10, and you guys were reacting to a 43-minute speed run. Yep. And I thought you set the previous record. I had the studio record. It was absolutely unofficial because I was, like, timing it myself and all (laughs) that. But, dude, I was only at 47 minutes in the office, which was still, I thought, great. Hell yeah. That game took me a handful of hours to get through. Average players finish around four hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, no, his his speed run was great. It's funny because that was like the second one of his Blitz VR is the, the, the guy's name. He had posted one on Twitter and I like watched through it. I was like, it was tight. And then him and I talked a little bit because I was like, I think here's some spots where like I got some tricks that you didn't didn't pull off. I mean, he had so many that I didn't know about. But there was a few that I had in my back pocket. I was like, you should try these. And, you know, he was like, oh, I think this is ways faster. And I mean, the dude holds the record. So I just have to accept that he did Mm -hmm. it right. But I've officially transcended into Gamer Dad now. Oh, so that record was set before Gamer Dad. My speed run time was before Gamer Dad. And now I'm like, I watched that speed run. And I was like, I'd love to try. But I know, like, I know the effort that he put in. And I know what it would take there. And I just don't get that time anymore. I feel you. I know you well, but for the audience who may not know you, I would describe you as one of the most competitive developers out there in the land, at least pre-gamer dad. I would argue that that still exists deep down in your soul, in your blood. The competitiveness didn't go away. I just know that I don't have the time. I know when I have to walk away from challenges. That's the thing. I think that's the new skill you've unlocked in your skill tree is to accept when, hey, I can kick your ass, but I'm not going to put in the time. I'm going to sit this one out. (laughs) You're going to invest in your progeny and level them up so that they can come back and beat down on their progeny and break the (laughs) skills for the next generation. Sounds about right. Yeah, we'll go with that. How does that feel, CB? Because I know I struggle with that myself. It's like, hey, I made the game. I know the ins and outs. And when I don't know the ins and outs, I got a tester or a producer nearby or designer direct access to be able to tell me the hacks, tell me the exploits. We know the insides and outs. And to see someone out there in the wild find something you didn't know about or teach you some things. Like, how how, how does that feel for a competitive soul such as yourself? I mean... You kind of love it, right? It's myself and Mike Jensen, one of our artists, 
he was my competition in the office when we were speed running. We raced a couple times and then he was like, okay, you've got the dexterity, but I've got the tricks. So he, a lot of the tricks that I used in like the speed run, Mike actually found them and I was just better about stringing them all together. Uh. So, you know, being competitive, you always love someone taking you to the next level and finding that next trick, right? Because totally. once, once someone finds that trick, everybody's time can get better once they learn that. So then you got to find that next one. So it's like the natural progression. And I think through both of our careers, you know, you get the game out to the masses because a test team's only so big. And Polyarch from Moss, I was the test team. We were all the test team, right? Like we had a whiteboard and everybody started taking sections of the game. And one of the downsides of being the speedrunner in the office is oh. when we had to do full sweeps. Logically, it took me the least amount of time. So <laughs> I, by the end, I was running Moss two or three times a day. Damn. I would just I would go sit in the big office because we were trying to do, you know, testing achievements. Mm -hmm. And one of them was to get all the collectibles, right? Yeah. And all the tier two collectibles. And you need to know, which I, I had implemented all of that stuff. So, but I couldn't remember how many you're supposed to have in each room so James would just sit in the room behind me with the chart that had what my breakpoints were supposed to be at each room. Yeah. And every time I pass a room, I'd pause real quick. He'd check the number and be like, okay, you're good. Keep going. Nice. It's a temptation that we have as devs to like maximize the day, right? And utilize those level skips and God molds and all those cheats to just make sure that this one part of the thing you're trying to fix works in all these different cases, or you run it in a smoke map or a test gym mm -hmm. or something like that. But it's super important to play these things contiguously in game, right? What I want to say about that is how vital that is to development and how it's tempting to just put it off to the end when you're like, mm -hmm. you know, ready for alpha or beta. But I always emphasize to do this from the beginning, play it in context. For sure. Not only I would say getting it in context, but it's really easy to, depending on what you're developing on, to, you know, play it on your PC, right? Like in the editor yeah. or whatever you're doing. Something that we did is we were able to get builds to like the PlayStation store right around probably like our beta. So we had it, you know, set to go. So I was able, I was running all of these on the PS4 production ready builds that we were testing, right? So I didn't actually have access to a lot of the cheats. Yeah. Which was great because, you know, it's real easy to want to start, you know, teleporting to just get across the map. Yeah. This is how you find those crazy collision bugs and everything. You just got to like force yourself to sit down and play them. And it's just real easy to just want to use them. Because like you said, I have other things to do. And sometimes taking the time to just play it like a regular player, you seems like you're, you're potentially wasting time. But that's actually the most valuable. Yes. It's because you can find like the hidden gems, right? that aren't the obvious like oh let me run through all the the smoke tests let me run through all this it's like you have that to, to catch it but at the end of the day sometimes you just gotta like put the time in right you hit it right on the head cb instead of saying that hey i'm taking the long way i'm spending more time to verify this thing and no it's actually you're investing your time correctly you're seeing it the way that players out there in the wild are gonna see it before you get to check it off and it is nice if you have the luxury you know getting like outside tests or people that aren't as familiar because even that said i guarantee you i ran it the same way almost every time right like it's mm -hmm. that's one of the things that you get in is, is hard to do right it's you know how to run it like even though i'm not using cheats or whatever unless i'm like mentally making sure to like 
try to do it up. You're just kind of going autopilot and, and you're doing these things. Yep. We actually like early, like one of the builds, Rebecca came in because she's like, I want to play. I want to try. So we got her all set up and I went back to my desk. Like she'll do this section of the game of busy. She- Has she played VR before or Moss before? That was her first time in VR and, you know, she plays games, so I wasn't worried about it. But immediately she comes back, she's like, I'm stuck. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, what happened? And I look, she is literally stuck in the wall. I was like, oh, what did you do? <laughs> How did you get here? She is the scrub the wall type gamer, which oh. I was like, great. We are going to have you test all of these. <laughs> I think that comes to me from like old ass JRPGs where like there was no <laughs> feedback for things that you could pick up. And then randomly yes. you hit the interact button. It's like, you found the ultra Phoenix down. I'm like, yes. How would you know that that was there if you weren't mashing up against the wall? One of her favorites is Final Fantasy nine. So yeah, that falls right in. Like Square was starting to get better about it then, but it was still everything was so hidden. Yep. So what were you responsible for on Moss 1? I did Quill's Combat, the AI enemies and achievements collectibles. And then one of my levels made it in there. That's right. Which one? The dev name for it is Town 23. It is the, once you make it to the rundown town, you see the sentry the first time and you like, you shut the door on them. And then this next room, uh-huh. the sentry's in the center of the room. And it's this whole puzzle about like playing hide and seek with the, the sentry. So this is what you have to face. Yep. The sentry is now an obstacle in your way. You have to, as part of the puzzle. That one was mine. Okay. Analytics say that is the third most dangerous room in the game. <laughs> uh, is the first one the like the beginning water wheel? It is the water wheel, which that is a bit of <laughs> failing on our part. The most deadly room in the game <laughs> is within the first 20 minutes. So people are like, oh, this game's fun. There's no enemies. There's not supposed to be any like danger. It's supposed to be this fun puzzle and it just murders people. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for the utility of like invisible protective collision in these platformers with like death drops off the edge of the map and shit. The whole point of the room is to like introduce people to VR and get used to like reaching in and like yes. realizing that you can affect the world and there's this water wheel that is probably spinning too fast period right? For what we wanted we just need to make this stupid thing spin slower. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah you're supposed to grab it and you can like influence it and you basically pump the brakes on it so yep. quill has time to maneuver and people just jump on this thing and quill just goes flying off that's <laughs> so heartbreaking i know every time every time she falls no you feel like a failure is like the reader yeah so the combat tell me what you liked about it what you wish you could have done what you left on the cutting room floor the enemy ai and then her combos and the biggest thing was like what do you guys call it possession possession yep all that flowed pretty perfectly, I, I, I would say. Wonder how long it took to get there, lessons learned. Sure. I'm glad you think it flowed perfectly because if you watch the AI, they walk over each other. So the thing mm. that like I really wanted and I shot for, and this is my first time using Unreal's AI. Behavior tree. Behavior tree stuff. I tried to get them to Kung Fu Circle around Quill. If you like stand there. Like a little battle ring. Yeah, they'll stand there and they, they take turns. They know who's attacking, like they, they mark themselves as who's attacking. So they straight up Kung Fu style, like only one swings at a time. And that's super helpful, by the way, man, like not to not overwhelm players, right? Especially if they're like, oh, I can attack, but I can also grab in, right? Like yep. that, that dual wielding kind of thing is, is, it can be overwhelming and having to manage more than one person swinging on you. 
Yeah, there was an interesting, we had to put a bit of a, a delay on it because what would happen is because they waited, if you got hit, they waited long enough that, you know, when you're in hit stun, we give you some invincibility, but because they like didn't all attack at the same time, they would actually time their hits perfectly so they could just chain you. <laughs> so we had to put a bit of a delay so the uh, the chaining didn't happen. But the Kung Fu Circle, for the most part, didn't really work the best. So like, it would have been cooler if that worked a little nicer. But the thing I'm really happy about is, yeah, Quill's animation canceling. Mm, with the dashing? Yeah, so myself and Rick Lico, our lead animator, spent a lot of time. And he's also like a really hardcore like third strike player. So you got two guys that love fighting games and we're like, let's talk about animation frames. <laughs> and what frame, like, see, every... you, see you three dev months later. Yeah, we, we talked about uh, like the dashes have invincibility, all of Quill's attacks, and they're like true to like Guilty Gear supers that frames one and two, you are vulnerable. And then from two to six or whatever, you know, you're invincible. And then you had your recovery out of it. So they had a chance. To hit you. So we just had a lot of fun doing those. And then building building the enemies was a lot of fun with Rick as well. What's really funny, and I, I really appreciate, because this was the first time I worked directly with an animator. It was the first time I, I put characters in the game. You know, I was mm -hmm. I mostly did like car games. And then when we worked on Red Dead, I was just, you know, doing the online stuff, but never actually like creating any characters. So we were talking about Quill's attacks and how, how do I envision, like, what do I want her to be doing? Or what do I want the enemies to do? And I was trying to explain it to Rick and he just looked at me and he's like, act it out. I was like, what? And he's just like, do it. So I'm on the dev floor and there's just one of those things like, what do you want to see in the game, right? And yeah, he just- Yeah, because it's an animator, right? They like study motion and human sure. and animal physiology and everything, right? He's like, I hear you, but just like, have some fun with this. Let me see what you want. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do this. And then all of a sudden- Did I you mean, have like props or something? No, imagine the sword. And you don't want me swinging a sword around. <laughs> I, I do, but you know, I guess your coworkers don't. <laughs> Rick is- the fastest animator I've ever worked with. This guy is the Tasmanian devil of animation. Like I walked away and I swear by the time I got back to my desk, he was like, what do you think? Damn. Yeah. Hell yeah. Shout out and to Rick. Yeah, it was, it was tight. So I think that was probably my favorite, my favorite part of what, like for everything I did with Moss is just like Rick and I iterating on like Quill's combat and the enemy like attacks and stuff like that. That's special, man. I think you got away with it pretty cheaply, too. Like, you didn't have to jump in a mocap suit or anything. You're just like, all right, here's what I'm thinking. Swing, uppercut, whatever, slash. And then he, he just kind of, did he record you at all? He just kind of visually captures you? Most of it was just visually captured. I think a couple times we did a few recordings. I know I recorded him a couple times. We did, like, for our, like, holiday gifts and stuff that we did for Twitter he acted out Quill and I did like the animation of like the camera just so like, cause for those, he's also animating the camera. So I was kind of driving where like it should zoom and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. Also, it's really nice having someone that plays enough fighting games. I looked at him, I was like, yo, I just want a Buki's dash. And he was just like, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty sweet. That's almost cheating. I think that's the benefit of having someone who you guys play similar games. There's no shortage of an advantage in the more games you play as a designer, the more games you have in your tool belt to be able to kind of provide that reference for people to kind of go down the checklist and be like, I'm just going to keep naming games until you played one of the ones <laughs> I'm naming, right? Yeah, for sure. And then that's it. That's it. That's it right there. I love gameplay design more than anything. And in particular, 
working with animators tends to be the most fun, right? Because you're thinking of things, they're describing things, they're writing down, and then they kind of bring it to life and show it to you. Like, is this what was in your head that you were trying to vaguely describe to me? You're like, yes, or kind of, but change this, change that. And then you see it in game, like pretty fast, especially with like Unreal Iteration. That shit is crazy. Yeah. The biggest takeaway working with Rick and, and the thing that I love when he always asks is, you know, because I'm like, cool, I want her to do this slash, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, why? What, what do you mean? Why is it an attack? It's like, no, who is Quill? Why would she do this? Right? Like, is she able to do this? Like the idea, oh. like Quill, Quill is like in an adolescence, right? Like she's a novice. It's like, no, she's not throwing shoryukens and stuff. Like she should not be doing that. Like it needs to look a little sloppy. It needs to look untrained. Yeah. So it was interesting making sure before you ask for things, get in the mindset of the character that you're creating and what, what would they do? Good point. Not what, not what do you want them to do, but what would they do? What would it look like? Yeah. For someone getting to own a character and build out the choreography and moveset for the protagonist, there's a lot to learn there. I think that's a great piece of advice is to get into the context of the character, say like, hey, what would it look like if she was to do a show you can... And then what would that mean for someone of this age, this skill set, this first time wielding a sword, setting yep. out on an adventure and all that? When I had joined, Quill as a character was, you know, really well defined. Like we referred to her kind of combat style and the, the type of players that we could have as like swashbucklers, right? Like mm -hmm. Quill's not the strongest, right? We want her, you know, moving around, repositioning herself. The idea for Moss was that you didn't have to be the most dexterous to win a battle in Moss. And actually a 1v1 in Moss, it's essentially unlosable because you as the player can just get involved and like Grab hold them it. still, right? Yep. So we always wanted to emphasize it's about like Quill's positioning and using that like smarts instead of just like these crazy like timing windows. Mm. Which there's some of that there. Like it's there for the players that want to, you know, go fast and do like crazy stuff in between like the enemies. It's all there. But for the like average player that just kind of wants to like walk through the combat, we tried to set that up. That was one of the actually the other big learnings that we had. And the, the second most killing room was right at the end of the ruins. We had this big like climatic combat scene. Oh my God. Is it like. Damn near 20 beetles in that fucking room. And then you have like the explosive self-detonating. This is before the exploders show up. Okay. But there was, it was a combination of, we had these scorchers, which were the ranged guys that come in and shoot at you. Yes. And if you remember how I said that the enemies take turns and mark when they're attacking. After we ship, found a bug. Uh, speaking of that dude that busted out of the closet. His characters didn't respect that at all. They fire on their own timer. Yeah, if they said they could go, they could go. And we were spawning too many characters because, and this is, I think, an interesting lesson for level designers or combat designers out there. Kind of assess your skills and understand that you are very familiar with the game. And my current rule for Moss Rooms is if I feel challenged in the room, it's actually probably too hard. Uh. It feels weird to say that because you're like, oh, you know, you don't have this feeling. And then you have to remember people are not playing this game seven hours a day, yeah. every day for years, putting it together and you build up this, this second nature. And I think that's what happened to Ruins 100 because of that. That was actually one of the biggest like drop off points. People will get to that. And it's like this game 
that we're telling you isn't about like combat difficulty and everything, all of a sudden, boom, there's a wall that says, hey, this skill that we didn't tell you you needed to be great at, mm-hmm. you now need to be great at. Good luck. Right? I know I fall into that same trap, CB, where I spend so long massaging, iterating on an encounter and experience that I'll get bored. And I'm like, oh, I need yep. to make this more interesting for myself. Totally. And, and that's the trap, right? Yeah, I'm so guilty of that. <laughs> that's the trap. Then you're kind of looking at it for your team's approval to be like, oh, yeah, this is cooler now. I'm not bored anymore. But you fall into that trap of like, hey, now this is challenging for you, which is probably too hard for the, yep. gate, the average player who's going to come into this kind of pretty fresh and only play it a handful of times. I think that's where the like disciplined veteran designer steps in. And, you know, we've talked about this. Danny is incredible at this to a like frustrating level he can turn off danny bula the gamer danny bula the design director and he can just become danny bula the average game player that can see the flaws Mm. in the game and ask the frustrating questions that you're like no you know this and and as soon as you get past like this is your coworker, and they know Mm -hmm. this thing and you look at he's like no he's actually someone off the street That doesn't know why. Why is your combat so much harder now? Why is he getting overwhelmed? Even though you can dispatch four of these guys and it's not a problem. But all of a sudden, now the player is having these problems. That's an incredible skill to learn is to like be able to step out of your shoes. Totally. Step out of your body, right? You have to become somebody new. I'm still struggling real hard. Like that, I'm trying to learn that skill to be able to turn off. And it's hard. Like that competitive edge. Yes. It's hard to become like, I know it's not because technically it's working. It's fine. But I can't get over this like mental thing of like this vulnerable, like, oh, I lose. <laughs> I will not lose to something I created. Right. Fuck that. Just, I don't want to do that. And it's like, it's selfish on my part. And I need to be able to do that because mm-hmm. it'll create a better product. And at the end of the day, that's how you win. Right. It's crazy to have these expectations of like, hey, not only are you writing the test so you know all the answers, but then you have these expectations on other people to be like, hey, you helped me write the damn test. You know the answers. Why is this hard? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, no. But this, there's a world of gamers that we're they're going through the curriculum, right? And we we're stepping them through. We want to make sure that they understand this and feel powerful. There's something he said. I remember he, Danny, he mentioned on that Dev React speed run. That was pretty cool when you guys were talking about. The ledge jump and the, the little scramble that you do mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, if the player comes close and intends to make this jump kind of give them that little boost yeah we have markups that wherever you see the scratch marks are ledge grabs that quill you know that's how she climbs up but also they work as stumble so as long as she as long as she is in the air when she catches that we just cheat you forward there was actually a really great gdc talk that the guys that did dead cells okay they actually showed a video because they do i think it's kind of like just like a popular trick with platformers. But they showed what Dead Cells looked like without their affordance. And if you didn't make the edge, God, the game, I mean, the game's already brutal in like the best way. I love Dead Cells. Such a good game. And the little Twitch interaction mechanics are pretty sweet. Yeah. But without that affordance, it just looked like a worse game, right? Like, because yeah. give, like making the player just feel like a badass, like the game's like, close enough you made it you're awesome keep going you want the game to challenge the player you don't want the player to be fighting with your like input mechanics you want them to fight the enemies you gave them the controller shouldn't be an enemy i like that the controller should not be an enemy i mean it's essentially 
was it? It was Miyamoto that said it, right? It's like, when you press jump, you should jump, mm-hmm. right? Immediate feedback. I like that, man. These are, these are gems, CB. Gems from the mind of a veteran game designer, 15 years in the game. Oh, now wearing a design director hat. Congrats on that, bro. Thank well you. deserved. Well Thank deserved. You. Before we get to that, I just want to wrap up this gameplay loop thing. When you're talking about affordances and you're talking about VR, you know, it's a whole new genre. It's a whole new world for a lot of players. Moss was kind of that first dive for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And curious, two things. When did possession come into conversation or as a mechanic in the game? Did that break the flow that you wanted to create with the combat? Did that kind of create opportunities that weren't there before? Speak to me about possession. Possession was there from day one, as far as I know. So ever since I touched Moss, I played Moss when jumping wasn't in the game, but possession was one of the core pillars of the game because Moss is a VR title, Yes. right? So one of the most important questions that we asked whenever we would talk about the game is why VR? Why is Moss in VR, right? What makes it not just a flat game, right? That you could play on an Xbox or PS4 or whatever, right? And you being able to reach in and affect the world was one of like the core tenets of the game. And not only is grabbing enemies supposed to be for combat, but they're also your tool belt, Mm. right? So we, you know, took a lot of inspiration from like Zelda dungeons and puzzles And, you know, Link has his bombs, he has his hook shot, he has all this stuff. Well, we didn't have or want an inventory system because we wanted to be like a nice streamlined, like simple game for people to play. So your enemies were actually your tool belt to use for your puzzles. Oh. A lot of the times you would see that the rooms would show up and the pattern would be you'd encounter a new enemy, you would fight them to learn how they they react and you get to beat them up and see what they do. And the very next room, you use one of them on what their function as the the puzzle bit is. And then it's like, okay, cool. Let's go do some other things. And now here's like a real test. Do you remember how these guys work? Do you remember like what we wanted you to do? But now it's not straightforward. That's a good point. I'd never really thought about that, that your enemies were your Zelda Mm -hmm. items, right? Like, it's like, hey, I'm going to pull this beetle to this place that I can't access so they can hit the lever, or I'm going to use the beetle that shoots because I don't have a projectile, or I'm going to blow up, oh, I have the bomb, right? I'm going to go move the bomb over here, and that's going to unlock the passageway. That's sweet and minimal. I love that. Yep, they're all there. Amazing. So I guess for combat, it was just an acceptance. It was just like, hey, this is part of your tool belt. If they use it, combat is easier and that's okay because combat is not the main part of the experience. The one thing that actually did kind of change and I felt bad for the AI a little bit. Because <laughs> you could just, you could just <laughs> tie them up and be like... <laughs> actually, you used to be able to. And this is something that we, we found out that we needed to be really conscious about. One, the AI used to have faces. Faces. The way their, their helmets are, like you can kind of see their eyes, but they used to have expressions. And it felt awful bugging these dudes. You felt bad. And then on top of that, you could actually possess something Uh and beat them up so they couldn't defend themselves. Yes. Which then made Quill feel like a bully. Yeah. What we ended up doing is you can only hit them once when they're possessed and then they break free. 
you do double damage. If you remember Danny talking about that feature that we hooked up and snuck yeah, in there, the you, get, you get your crit. But to make it fair on the back end of it, I had put in that if the AI gets broken out of possession by damage, uh-huh. immediately reset their attack timer, they get a free swing. So, uh. so as soon as if, if you're just wailing on them and you mm-hmm. break them out of that and you don't dodge, they get to hit you back for free. Gotcha. Which, okay. I mean, is fine because there's ways to manipulate it. But for the people that just want to mash on it, yep. it actually makes it feel more like a fight. Instead of them just mugging, it's like, yeah, they get the first hit. They get a second hit, but then they get hit back, right? And it actually feels like a fight instead of you're just like stomping these guys and you're the bully. That's interesting, man. Again, going back to like, who is Quill? What type of character is she, right? How do you want players to feel when they're maximally optimizing everything that the game allows for them to do? And Quill is not a bully. It's not what she is. Quill is not a bully. Going back to Chris Barasa, the design director at Polyarch now. How does that feel? What's your day-to-day like? What's changed from pre-designed director days? There are days where it just feels awesome in a sense of like, it's not that different than there are other days where you're like, oh, I'm responsible for so much more now. And I think that I think the biggest change is I'm effectively doing less, but also doing more. The best analogy is, you know, you play like an RTS, right? play some StarCraft, right? I used to be just a space marine and I was down in the trenches getting stuff done and I loved it down there, you know, my comfort zone. And now I'm actually zoomed out and I need to be more mindful of not just my little area, the things that I control. It's not just the AI, the combat. It's how the whole experience flow together. Now I'm starting to have to think about staffing. What does the project look like two years from now? What are we going to need? So it's not just specifically game related, you know, it's a bit of like operations stuff Mm -hmm. that goes along with it. It's a whole new skill set to learn. How do you look ahead far out into the development cycle of like, where are we going to be? What are we going to need making those types of calls? What are some tricks, tips, lessons learned so far in the journey wearing that director hat? It's a good question. I'm still trying to learn those answers myself. Right now, honestly, I am fortunate to be surrounded by more experienced directors. Yeah. So I'm kind of looking at the design and like we're talking through stuff, but also we get into like our leads, like director meetings and stuff. And I kind of just try to sit there and be quiet, trying to start seeing what our audio director, our engineering director are talking about and seeing how they think about these problems. And so I can start trying to apply those same things to design. Really, a lot of it right now is just like understanding scope. Work back from, okay, this is where we want to be. This is where we want to potentially ship something, right? These are the feature sets we need. When do these need to come online by? And then just get rough time estimates, guess, and then put it in a chart. And it's like, does it fit? Mm -hmm. Then you start getting to the like, even before you start doing things, it's like, what gets cut? Right. Yes. Cut early, cut often. Yeah. If we come back around or there's a DLC pack or something, it can Mm -hmm. come back. I think that's so powerful. You know, a lot of people can feel pressured to have to fake the funk or speak up. And I love the fact that you feel comfortable in this environment on that awesome team where it's like, hey, I'm I'm at the director table. I trust my teammates. They trust me. I'm going to sit, listen and learn, then speak up ask questions, learn more, bring it back, noodle, come back, right? Get better, level up, learn from the people around you that have done it before. I think that's extremely valuable insight and advice for any of us, right? Like rising into a new role, being promoted, 
feeling like, all right, day one, I got to act like my new role. And it's like, well, still shut up, listen and learn. <laughs> And, and then go, right? You'll get there. There's no need to rush. One of the bigger differences, right, is getting buy-in from the team. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times in the principal design role, I was told what to be working on, right? Like we as a design team would be like, hey, you know, there's XYZ rooms that need to get made or we need to make this many weapons, right? Brasa, go take care of the weapons. Like these are the three we need. What are their abilities, things like that. Let's just get them implemented and do that. Now, being at the director role, we apologize. Like, it is a very collaborative environment. Yes. And the last thing any of us want is to feel like someone is just kind of being like, we're doing it this way, right? Yeah. I'm the designer. We're doing that, right? Polyarch is very good about designers being like the shepherds of ideas shepherds of ideas okay you know those can come from anywhere but it also helps to kind of like start the conversation i've been doing a lot more doc writing you know we're going back to full sale was it gdd day one yeah i spend a lot more time in confluence now getting these pages together and just like having meetings you know socializing ideas to get buy-in not only to kind of get people on the same page, but also to like check my ideas, get them pushed, poked at. Because a lot of times what I'm proposing is the starting point. And you know, you need everybody that has different views, different ideas, things that they want to get it to that next level. It's funny, right? Because documentation is something we we're taught early. And then you come out of college thinking like, all right, the way to design is write the Bible, you know, <laughs> however long it is. And then you put it in front of the team. And then this is how the game gets made. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, it was not that at all. I haven't done it till like four months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you don't use it till 15 years later in your career, you will use it. Documentations are effective. It is super important, especially when you're guiding a team and, and sharing a vision to a big group of people to shepherd. Everybody has an idea of what this game can be. And you're kind of taking those first stabs at creating a, a box of like, all right, these are the things we're going to play with and we've talked about. So we're working on an unannounced project, right? Mm -hmm. And we're growing the team size and having these documentation there for onboarding is probably the most valuable for it is because as people come on, you know, you can point them and be like, look, here's this, here's that. And using like decision docs and stuff like that, you can be like, look, here's actually the list of things we discussed through why we went with one over the other. Totally. And it really helps people that onboard to the team understand the team's mindset. You spend the time writing these docs and then you get that time back on the ramp up of every new person that joins the team actually saves you time because you'd be having these conversations if you didn't have the doc. Yep. And while it, you're still going to have these conversations, and I think it's very important to have them because it's still, you know, it's good to check in, challenge the idea, you know, talk through. Maybe there's some stuff that new fresh eyes bring that you're like, oh, actually, the rest of the team didn't think about that. You know, that's actually not that hard to slot in. Yeah, this is great. But you skip over a large chunk of the same question that gets answered in a doc and everyone reads that and like, that makes sense. Yo, 1 billion percent, CP, 1 billion percent. The time you spend now will pay for itself. It will scale up and squared, right? Like for <laughs> each person that comes behind, you know, it's like having an FAQ that you kind of keep building on. It saves a bunch of time and then it gives people an entry point to ask a question like, hey, I read everything and nobody asked this question. Have we thought about this? And, oh, shit, we haven't. 
And that's one of the best ways that you can onboard is to spend the time when people are not around or not available, because that'll happen in what we do. We'll be locked up in meetings. We'll be on some trip or on PTO or having a kid or something like that. And you're not readily accessible. That's a great opportunity for you as a new person on the team to read through the docs, mm -hmm. see whatever videos or presentations, get up to speed, verse yourself. So you can have deeper conversations when you do have that one-on-one -on -one time with the director, the lead, whoever. That's a sign of age and experience. <laughs> uh, writing documentation, having to get good, sharing the knowledge, not just keeping it all in your shoulders and be like, hey, you need an answer, just come to me. It's like, you're yep. not always going to be there. Also put funny gifts in your docs. Images. Yes, images and videos. You don't need a million words when a GIF can sell it for you, right? Absolutely. Sure. I want to take a step back. You went to Full Sail. We all kind of went around that same time to get our game dev education, to get work in this industry. I'm curious, what was it for you that inspired this craft, this calling? Was it a certain game? What was it that led you to Full Sail? I got a Nintendo when I was three. My aunt got it for me. And my parents always tell me that my aunt apologized to my mom because she thought she ruined my life. How so? Because that's all I did, mm. right? Like I got a Nintendo, I got Super Mario, I got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that is way too hard for a three-year-old to play. Oh man, the one where like you get in the turtle van and you're in the sewers and stuff. It wasn't until like watching a like AGDQ run. Dude, it's random. You have to go like into rooms and like find stuff and rockets and it's random or whatever. I just, as a kid, I played the first three levels and got into the turtle van and turned it off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever got past that because I couldn't fucking find the rocket. <laughs> I was like, how do I get through this obstacle? I don't, no, I don't know. Yeah. It was just, I played that and then duck hunt. Yeah. And ducks. You used to cheat, put the gun right on the TV so you couldn't <laughs> miss. It was terrible tracking back then. It's okay. I just always played games. It's all I ever really wanted to do. I guess it was like trying to figure out how I could just play video games all day. At the time, I wanted to get into games programming, Twitch streaming and stuff, which actually I am super grateful. I was born when I did because, dude, 10 years later, I'd be trying to be a pro gamer. I know it. I'd be trying to make the NFL for video games. Hell yeah, me too. Me too, man. <laughs> this wasn't an option. This wasn't no, available for us. There was only, hey, you want to play games that make money, make good money, you better learn how to make them. That, that's pretty yep. much what it was. From an early age, wanted to do that. And what's really funny, and I'm glad that I had that figured out from an early age, because me and my buddy Demetrius in high school, we played Midnight Club 2. And we played the shit out of that game. We think we're the best. And there's no way to prove it back then. You know, there's no leaderboards. There's no nothing. So what did we do? Remind me again, your hometown. What was You were like local hometown unbeatable champ of like uh, what? Haverhill, Massachusetts. Haverhill, Massachusetts. We know we're the best. And we're like, we need to go find better players, right? Yeah. So we got basic HTML skills. So D builds us a website. I think we were like SRS, like speed racing, some super cheesy, whatever clan name. Uh-huh. We put this up there. We're like, you, you want to come race in our league? Like we were trying to organize like race nights and stuff so we could like have point standings and like, dude, we were into it. One of the rules was if you wanted to join the league, you had to race us and beat us. Right? <laughs> you want to be on the Bulls, you got to beat Jordan. Right. <laughs> so 
we get just this message from these two guys and they're like, yo, we want to, we want to join like whatever. Okay, cool. And I, I'll never forget. We loaded up and, you know, we were racing in, in Paris or whatever. And one of the things is like the motorcycles in that game were so touchy. If you touch them, you could just dump people off their bikes. So you just never raced with a motorcycle online because you're, you're yeah, against other players. Right. And these two dudes roll up to the line with motorcycles, right? And me and D are just laughing. We're like, you got to be kidding. And we go off the line. We go to just, you know, we're playing cutthroat, right? Dump them. They just jack the brakes. We miss them. And then off they go. And we never saw them again. Oh. And I'm just like, well, they knew that was coming. So we get smoked, right? Yeah, they're fast. The acceleration is crazy. Yeah, once that we're gone, we, we don't touch them. And afterwards, so, you know, we, we talked to them. And they're like, yeah, you guys totally can race with us. And come to find out. The two of them were developers at Rockstar that worked on Midnight Club. So Rockstar find out about our website and these dudes are like, yo, let's go stomp on these guys because they think they're good, right? <laughs> Luckily, 15, 6-year-old me had enough like wherewithal and forward thinking that I, I have the guy's contact information, right? So I hit him up and I'm like, yo, I want to make games. What do I do? And his name is Devin Hammock. Yeah, shout out to Devin. You know, I told him that, like at the time I wanted to go to DigiPen. Which was like the only video game school in existence. Yeah, it's the only game school I knew about yeah. at the time. And he's like, that sounds great. And he was like, yo, just graduate and hit me up. And it was one of those things like, what else is the guy going to tell me? You know, I'm just some kid, whatever. And he was just like, yeah, just hit me up when, when you graduate. Get that paper and then hit me up. Get that golden ticket. Instead of going to DigiPen, I end up going to Full Sail. How do you learn about Full Sail? So I was taking night classes at the community college because my high school didn't have like a programming course. So I was learning Java. And it was so funny. There was this dude in our class and like I showed up to the lab early and he was just playing Unreal Tournament, right? Mm -hmm. So I sit down and he had like a bootleg disc. So we just put it on all the machines, right? Yes, that's how it starts. I start playing Unreal with him and... You know, I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm learning to program to like make games and stuff. And he was like, have you heard of this place called Full Sail? Wow. I was like, no, what is this? Right. And so he told me about it and he was like, yeah, look it up. I never saw this dude again. I don't know. I'll take my lucky chance, my divine intervention. What is the hero's journey? Yeah. It's like the divine intervention. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the help from beyond or whatever. Yeah. I'll take it. It's my help from beyond. You know what? Everybody needs it. It's part of the journey. And he told me about it. So I, I looked Go. it up. Yeah, for real. My parents were way more excited about me going. Florida's closer. My grandparents live down there. Washington was so far away and scary. So it just worked out that, you know, they looked at it and this seems good. Got accepted to full sale. And so we went there. This person, this specter from another dimension <laughs> right on, yeah. is probably like future you from the world that didn't become a game developer came back. And it's like, yeah, what was the turning point in my life? It's like, all right, I'm going to come and tell Chris about Full Sail. It's going to change the trajectory of his life. Yeah. I told you about Full Sail and it was on the East Coast. I lucked out. Best fail of my life was I failed programming too. So Full Sail is interesting because their, their curriculum is month by month. Yep. And so when you fail a class, you just repeat the class, but the group that you joined with leaves your ass behind. And then yeah. you just join the ranks of whatever group's coming through, right? So I fail programming too. I retake programming too. And I end up in Danny Bula's class. Danny Bula. 
who is design director at Polyarch. Interesting. Yeah, funny how that works. You know, him and I become friends. We make it through. We get out of Full Sail. And the career placement at Full Sail was fantastic. Yeah. Rob Coble was setting everybody up. And I remember I went into his office and he was like, Chris, I don't have a job for you. But I have a paid internship in Hawaii. My goodness. I was like, Rob, that sounds like a job. He was like, it's not permanent. It's only six months. And I was like, but I get to go to Hawaii. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah right? And he's like, yeah, so I'm 20 out of college. They just told me I'm going to get paid. Not only did I get paid, yo, they paid for my apartment in a high rise in Honolulu. That shit's expensive. I was a 15 minute walk from Waikiki Beach. It was awesome. So we go there and just working. Actually, I was working in Unreal Engine on VR. Atlanta Cyberspace was the name of the company, and they were doing VR tech and stuff for companies using Unreal 3. So my career actually kind of started in VR. And on Unreal. And on Unreal. What the hell did VR even consist of at the time, man? Like, oh, it was... Dude, it was like those big, like, the Octo-like things that you put the, the shit in, takes, like, three generators to run. <laughs> you used to only see them in like science centers and stuff. Ah, okay, okay. For sure. For yeah, sure. we had like two of those in the office, which is funny because we would put people in them and then we would just play shooters and it'd be like people on keyboard and PC versus the people in the VR sets and they just get smoked. <laughs> you, can't, you can't compete with keyboard and mouse. It's still true to this day, man. People on controller versus people on keyboard and mouse. People on touchscreen versus keyboard and mouse. Yep. Yeah. As my internship was finishing up, I remembered I was like, all right, I got to find a real job. I was like, yo, where's that dude's contact, right? I was like, it's time to hit Devin up. Hey. And so I hit him up. I was like, yo, I graduated. I'm just finishing up my internship. Can I send you my resume or send Rockstar my resume? How long was this, by the way? This was like 16 to 2021, 20, right? So that's like five, four or five years. And a lot of people, I don't know about you, man, but at 16, I wasn't really good about storing people's contact information, man. I'm curious, like, where you put this thing, how you Shout found it. Shout out to AOL Instant Messenger, baby. Oh, my God. Gosh. Okay. So like you had a screen name. Yeah, I had a screen name and AOL was still in vogue. Luckily enough. What was your screen name back in the day, man? If you don't mind me asking. Gaming addict. Clean, simple, straightforward. I like it. You got to hold him through AIM. Yeah. I got to hold him through AIM and he was like, send me a resume. I shit you not the next day I had a phone call from Rockstar HR wanting to set up an interview. Was it uh, Sarah Schaefer? Yeah. Sarah called me and wanted to set up an interview. But this dude straight up just got my resume, walked into her office and was like, call this kid. That was a special time, man. From what I recall, Rockstar San Diego was tight knit. They all knew each other and it, it was no well, bullshit. It was Angel, Angel Studios, right? It was Angel Studios at the time, right? So they were like, yeah. it was pretty flat. Everybody just had that ease to just open doors, walk up, tell people, hey, call this dude. Yeah, no problem. Let's do it. Let's get a hold of you. Yeah. So I got that call. Did the phone interview. I was interviewing as a networking UI programmer. Were you particularly strong in those classes at Full Sail? I made it out of networking by the skin of my teeth. So not at all, actually. But I knew enough to get myself a flyout interview. And oh, yeah. so I get to Rockstar. And man, let me just tell you the hilarity of going out to California, San Diego, right? It was like in December. I had my nice interview stuff. And then the rest, I'm just wearing shorts. I'm coming from Hawaii. 
I'm going there. It was the coldest fucking December on record. So huh. I'm, I'm in the hotel that they have. I have the heat cranked to 80. I'm freezing my ass off, which is hilarious, trying to get ready for this interview. Yeah. So, you know, the, the van comes to pick me up because I can't rent a car because I'm only 20. And it takes me to, to Rockstar headquarters. And we get in, you get into that, that front lobby. It's got the, the Rockstar logo. And at this point, the, the fanboy in me is just losing it. Dude, I don't know about you, but Vice City was the shit for me. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, obviously Midnight Club 2, but then Vice City was awesome. Mm -hmm. So just like, I'm in a Rockstar building. Yeah, dude, the games don't get any bigger. I think I, I would only compare them to like a Nintendo, right? Like that's where they sat for me. For sure. And so Sarah's like taking me back to the interview room. And as I'm walking by, you know, I'm trying to look around, see whatever. And as I walk by, I just see what looks like cars racing on a screen. I was like, yo, they're working on that club. I was like, if I get this job, I can work on it. That club. You make that connection instantly. Instantly. I'm like, that's what we're playing for today. And so they sit you down in the room, man. And I'm sure as you remember, Rockstar interviews are long. You know, we were there for a full day. You know, I'm sure every place is different, but for people that are wanting to get in the industry or they're interviewing in like the process and stuff, I think the biggest thing that you need to remember on interview stay calm because the questions are going to continue to get harder until they find something you don't know. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to see how you, especially for junior positions, right? Yeah. for junior. Imagine positions. like as more, more veteran stuff, like the tests kind of go away, yeah. you, you know, once you've made it 10 plus years in the industry, we're like, all right, you probably, you probably got this. Yeah. We're looking for other things in our senior leadership principal yep. directorial level, right? Like more of the soft skills. How do you work? You know, how do you handle conflict and all the shit in the junior level? Yeah. Ooh. It's basically, we're trying to figure out what are your strengths? Yeah. What are your weaknesses? So I, I actually like, I flew through like the networking portion of it. Like basic programming was great. Are you whiteboard? Any of this? Are you pseudo code? Yeah. We're whiteboarding all this, like writing it out, which honestly is terrible. Cause I have awful handwriting. And I'm on a whiteboard and I'm nervous trying to remember syntax and just like Fucking it was syntax. so in comes Ted Carson. Ted Carson. Yeah. And Ted just started asking me math questions. Like we didn't even. That's his thing. Just straight. Yeah. And he's very good at it. Mm. I'm not. He's at Valve now, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. But yeah, he just started asking questions and then we just got into vector math. It's always going to get to vector math. Of course. Always. I mean, it's a very important skill and one that you would have thought I would have looked into more. Shout out to Bahim. For real. What type of preparation did you do before going into the interview? Anything you touched up on, researched, played? Yeah, it was just like, you know, like the C++ primer, primer you know, like my polymorphism, you know, all, all the basic like data structure type stuff. I was mentally prepared like for, you know, programming stuff and networking, like all that. And, you know, I had my basic math skills, but I probably should have brushed up on them a lot more because I will say what felt like an eternity in that room <laughs> was based on these math questions. And it was like, okay, finally hit a question I don't know the answer to. Cool. Let's talk through it. Yes. Start talking through it. Yes. Don't and then out. Ted's kind of like slow playing it a little bit. Mm. Luckily, 
Michael Currington, also there. So it was Ted and Mike were the two like... Ted and Mike were in there, yeah. Nice. And Mike throws me a bone and kind of gives it like hard like, push. Hey, what about the Pythagorean theorem? Something straight up obvious, right? It's like, put the key in the door. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of gets me out of my way. And then from there on out, honestly, it was like Ted would ask me a question and then Mike would work through it with me. And dude... I thought I failed the interview. I was done in my head. But I thought you got through it. We made it through, but it was a tool assisted video at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's not officially sanctioned. Yeah, yeah, no. So that was the end. So we finished and then I went back. I thought I was done, dude. There was no design portion. You were coming in as an engineer. Yeah, it was an engineering position. Okay. And so I went back to Hawaii and I was like, whatever. You didn't feel good about it. I did not. I did not feel good at all. Just based on that last portion. Everything up to that point, I felt great. Talk to me about like how you cope with that. Talk to me about like any self-care, any self-medication afterwards. I went back and one of my roommates at the time, we just sat down and we just played a shit ton of Gears of War. Ooh. Yeah, we just sat down and we're like, nah, we just need to chainsaw some people. Yeah, and we just like, we just played like I, I effectively was like, okay, whatever. I remember waking up to my phone ringing and I actually didn't think anything of it because I was like super tired. It was like a couple days later, right? It was like yeah. over the weekend. So it was like a Tuesday. Were you interviewed on like a Friday? It was like a Thursday. I yeah. flew home Friday. Okay. Yeah. So my phone rang, like whatever. And then like my brain, like the circuits finally like fired. And dude, I sprung out of bed and leaped, grabbed my phone, picked up and it was Sarah. And she's like, hey, we'd love to extend you an offer. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't say yes. <laughs> it happened to my ass too, man. When I got that midway offer, I was like, yes, not hearing anything, not countering. They, I didn't even know what they offered. I said, yes. You're like, like don't, don't do I'll that. I'll move myself. Don't worry about any of that shit. They paid for moving. They were, they were good about that. I didn't get myself out of that. Yeah. So got the job and Ooh. was like, yes. And then it was... All right, time to get my ass out of Hawaii, get there, figure out how to get my car from Florida because I left the car with the grandparents because yeah. not going to need it in Hawaii. How to get that to California? Where am I going to live? Like all that whirlwind and then start working at Rockstar. Was it Midnight Club 3? 4. Midnight Club LA. Midnight Club LA. Oh my gosh, man. Midnight Club LA was fantastic it just felt so good driving in la it looked good it, like you felt powerful the craziest thing about it is i mean the map in the game scale it's not one-to-one -one, but the streets everything it's absolutely correct to the point where you know my sister came out to visit because i was in california and she had never been out of massachusetts so she came and we went up to la and started driving around and i just knew where to go like i had never driven in la before that and i'm like yo, this race starts here and it ends here. And as long as I don't go driving through the park, we should be okay. Yeah. It's crazy how much of my, because that's all I was doing all day. It's just driving around LA testing things. You grew up in Massachusetts, went to school down in Orlando, lived in Hawaii, and now you're in Southern California. You're in Carlsbad, California, you know. What's life like at this point? You know, like, would you notice anything about the people you're around, the people you're working with, you know, compared to what you grew up around, people you went to school with? The West Coast is way more relaxed. Compared to the East Coast? West Coast is way more chilled out. I was maybe a little high strung when I was still new into California. It definitely, like, chilled me out. 
What you mean was? <laughs> <laughs> now, now I think it's on like a toggle. Then okay. it was on all the time. Okay, <laughs> that's true, man. It's been a long time, man. So you get to come in and contribute to Midnight Club LA after being a big fan of the franchise. Yep. Eventually, you're on the Red Dead Redemption team, man. Yeah. And you're putting those networking skills to the test once again. But I think you were also in a design capacity. Yeah. So I came over as a technical designer. And what's really funny is by this point, Danny is now at Rockstar. You got him in. At that time, I had been there enough. Danny was looking for a new job or whatever. So I got his resume and I walked into Sarah and I was like, yo, call this guy. The cycle feeds itself, right? History repeats itself and the, yeah. the wheel turns. So Danny had gotten hired and he got hired to work on Red Dead. And at the time, we were finishing up Midnight Club. We were working on the South Central DLC. And then we were working on an unannounced racing game project that never saw the light of day. But while we were working on that, there was kind of like a shift in the studio of people still staying to work on that. And then if people wanted to go on Red Dead and Danny came over and was like, yo, you need to work on this game. Because mm. I was like, I was hardcore Midnight Club. I was staying on that team sure. through and through. And Danny's like, get on this team now. And when your homie tells you something with that much conviction, you listen. So I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to help out with that. And they're like, great. We need technical designers to work on the networking. Who do you have to approach out of curiosity? Mike Carrington. Oh, psh. yeah, which was great because he's your boss. Yeah, he was my direct report. Yeah. At the time, honestly, throughout the development of Midnight Club, he was absolutely my mentor. You know, he sat right behind me. Like, I told him that I wanted to do gameplay. I got a job as a networking UI programmer because I need to get in the door. I'd do anything to get do in the door. Yeah, man. But once I was there, I was like, yo, gameplay is what I want to do. And, you know, we talked about it and I was just banging through like networking UI through my tasks. And we got at one point it was low and we needed, you know, a game mode for the online for Midnight Club. And I was like, I can write that. Here's some ideas for it. Like, I'd love to do this. And Mike was like, go right ahead, you know, and I slowly started to like transition into gameplay and doing that stuff. And so, you know, he knew that they needed people on Red Dead. And I was like, I'd, I'd love to go you know, do that and the skill set of like doing the online, yeah, you know, weapon balancing, the online action area, like all that stuff. Mike was like, perfect. Go, go have fun. Go help him out. Go knock it out. Man, shout out to Mike for empowering you, letting you control your own destiny. Danny coming through and be like, yo, you need to come on this project. You listening, <laughs> you asking, right? And just having that rapport and getting on. And when you got on, what did you see? What did it feel like? Talk to me about your impressions, your learnings. Man, it was so different. Just because like... Third person, open world. The way the, the Red Dead team was probably at this time already twice as big as the Midnight Club team. And I was used to things being pretty isolated in, in like what I was working on. And so they're like, okay, you know, we got to take a look at the multiplayer. You know, we, we need to bring over these weapons. Well, at the time, like multiplayer really was just getting going. So there was only the single player tunings yeah. for the, the game and, and the weapons for single player like are OP as shit as you get <laughs> later in the game, right? Because they should because the AI scales and everything like this. So I remember one of the first things I did was went in and just ripped open the Excel sheet and just rebalanced the numbers, right? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's just like for the multiplayer thing, I was doing that. 
wasn't even thinking about it. And Alan Blaine comes over and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Senior systems designer, Alan Blaine. And I was like, you know, I'm just trying to like hook this up for that. He's like, you realize that's for the whole game, including single player, right? And I was like, I do not, sir. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. Off to a great start over here now. That's something amazing about Rockstar is the amount of freedom and unlocked accessibility that any developer has <laughs> to make crazy changes to the entire game is kind of unheard of for how big these games are. And shout out to you for <laughs> learning that the hard way. I mean, not only that, but it wasn't for a while that I found out that designers didn't have access to code. Oh, but you did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause you're coming over, you have all your engineering permissions. Yeah, they never revoked that from me, which was both a benefit and a detriment, because you know, sometimes I had too much power. What would you say to somebody in the sim in the similar shoes, right? That comes over from engineering background, makes a transition to design, is used to just making the changes on their own, not checking with anybody, not asking permission, just doing it. What would you say to that person, right? That's like, I can code, so I'm gonna just do it versus like, all right. I have to shift thinking and go through the process, go through the, the pipeline. Like I always encourage people to, hey, if you're comfortable and cold, here are the keys to the mm -hmm. kingdom. But yeah. I guess, like you said, there's pros and cons. I think, and this is something that I don't think just is for new people because I still do this because it's excitement, right? I'm going to, I'm going to preface this with like excitement gets all of us Yeah, and, and an idea hits you and comes over and there's this important step. What is this going to touch? I think a great way to like put it is the longer the compile is, the more scared you should be of your change. <laughs> right? You compile this thing and it compiles instantly. Cool. You mess with like two files. Yes. If you go to lunch when you compile, <laughs> you better get a very senior person to come look over this change. Yes. Yes. Like, hold on. Why is the linker taking this long? <laughs> Rockstar, we never really like peer reviewing, at least for what we were doing wasn't really like i don't ever remember really doing that like on midnight club or working on red dead no one ever peer reviewed uh, unless we were like really close to shipping that's when it really became hardcore everything was peer reviewed even at the direct role now if i touch code i have like the gameplay engineer you know we peer review it together just because i now know what i don't know right and i'm like let me get an i think this is fine but let me get an extra set of eyes just like can i do this better i, I like that you call out peer review cb because i'm a huge fan man and it's i great. find that it, it helps other people know what's going on in case you're absent or missing or moved on to some other project or whatever it gives someone a, another set of eyes to call out oh yeah i know how that works i can go fix it or something like that but it was like my fourth day on the Midnight Club team and I ran into a crazy crash. Like I was doing something with like whatever it was and I managed to crash the game so bad that like, cause I, I, I told Mike and it was some very low level wherever they actually went and grabbed Dave Etherton to Ooh, come to my desk, who Etherton. was the, like the studio, like lead engineer. Isn't he like head of rage? Yeah, that the head of rage emerges from his den, right? And comes, I'm four days into having a job and I'm trying to sit there as he does things with a Visual Studio editor that I still don't know what happened to this day. And I'm trying to pretend like I understand. And then we start seeing assembly and I was like, no, no, we've gotten too far. Remember those too classes? Low. I do. <laughs> We're too low. We're too deep. How do we climb out of here? 
I don't even know what file that is. <laughs> That's one of those, like, figured it out and just left. I think he said hi. And just like, he, there was like a smoke bomb and he was gone. It was so intimidating. I love Death to stories, man. I love his emails. I love his manner of speaking communication. He's the guy that makes me think that it's like, yo, as, as game developers, we never really have to grow up. If we're good, if you're good. There was a recent Twitter conversation. There was an awesome thread about moments on a game project that you loved. And you cited developing Stronghold for Red Dead Redemption's. It was a, I don't know what DLC it was. I don't know. Uh, Liar, Liars and Cheats DLC. Liars and Cheats DLC. It was like the third one. Because mm-hmm. yeah, the first was like one was the like third. a free co-op mode that like blew people's yep. minds. Like, what? This is free. This is amazing. Talk me through getting to design a completely unique game mode for the online multiplayer from scratch, man. Like just owning this thing. Like what, what was that like? How did it even come to be? This kind of blew my mind, right? Because a lot of the stuff that we were doing at the time or that I was doing was like just setting up AI, basically building out like missions in the the, the free realm area, stuff like that. And then it came time and we were like, yeah, we want a new game mode. And Shripan was busy working on more co-op stuff. Troy was building out multiplayer maps. So Chris Roberts looked at me and he's like, see you. And I was like, okay, cool. Put you in the game. We actually got a little bit of extra designer firepower and Danny came along and was like, cool, let's do this. So it's your boy. Yeah, we finally get to work together because he's been on single player doing missions. I've been on multiplayer. We do not interact at all through in, in a work capacity through the entire development. And we finally were like, all right, let's make a game mode together. And we walked into one of the back kind of like rec room areas. We shut the door and we're like, we're not leaving until we have a game mode. And we just started talking through what would be cool. What did we play when we were growing up? What did we like, right? We talked through a lot of things. Was it Unreal Tournament 2001? Had attack and defend, right? And it was like one of my favorite modes. And it was like, what if we did it? Like, what does attack and defend look like in Red Dead? And then we were like, it's really different. It's a neat idea. I think people will really like it. So we wrote up like what we wanted, like what the type of objectives were going to be. Right. And then we wanted to have like that progression, just like you have in the mode that it's like, you know, you get like your checkpoints to push along and then you flip and the other team plays and that decides it. It was a long mode. Like you played for a while. If you locked into a stronghold match, you were in it for quite a bit. Can you tell me the the objective is like kind of territory control, right? Like ABC, I think it was five, some map. And then you kind of are attacking, try to control, and the defenders are trying to stop you from grabbing the spot. And then once you grab them, can't flip them, right? Like it's kind of a... They were kind of different, but it was, yeah, you either had to hold um, hold some spots. You had to crack a safe. So you yeah. had to, to get a player on the safe and you had to like, you know, Wild West. Covering. One person cracking the safe, everyone's just like covering fire, TNT's flying around. And then, yeah, the last one finished off with, it became trying to remember to become like a deathmatch where like the the last one they only had like x number of spawns and you had to push in or like everyone lost lives or something like that we ended up putting that together and then what was really funny is because danny also was going to help out with the networking for the game modes because we got horse racing online because you could only do that in single player Mm -hmm. so the liar and cheats we brought that new game mode brought the horse racing and then we brought all the gambling games to multiplayer but yeah, Danny started working on the horse racing and then they needed him for some single player content for other stuff. So I got to work on the horse racing too. From what I could recall, game modes and pitching at Rockstar 
it's very different, man. It's you just kind of like run it by Croberts at all, or you just kind of put it in and then people play it and then like, all right, play is good. Keep working on it. Or looking back at it, it was interesting. <laughs> I don't feel like I should have had that much autonomy. I really don't. Like looking back at it, I could do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And people just kept checking in on it. Like, yeah, things are working. It's fine. But like almost to like a detriment, there was no like I just made these action areas. Is like, what's your plan? I was like, I don't know. This feels cool. And like, well, that's not the best way to develop things. It, it worked out. But yeah, I really I just ran everything by Chris Roberts and Tom Shepard. If they said it was fine, it was in. Right. It's amazing. I think people would kill for that opportunity these days, man. You'd be like, yo, I can write game modes for GTA Online just like that. Like, what? Like, was Josh Needleman, did he have a heavy hand in kind of uh, shepherding this across the finish line? Or you're just kind of the sanity check? Yeah, Needleman was the sanity check. Like, at that point, everything kind of went through New York. Like, once the game shipped, I went through New York. But yeah, I don't think, like, networking started to get looked at until, like, the last three months. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we should probably... uh, you know, have like Sam Dan like do some multiplayer play tests, which were amazing. I remember some rowdy, rowdy matches in the office. I, these were some of the most amazing times in developing Red Dead that I can remember. It was just like the mandatory networking play tests, right? You would get Sam on your team, Dan on your team. You'd be on a team. I'd make sure I was on the opposite team you were on. Josh would be there. And it was just so much fun, bro. There was so much trash talking. You would have thought there was money on the line the way we were playing these games. I mean, there wasn't money on the line, but we shipped Red Dead and New York QA. Oh, that's right. Thought they were thought they were good. They were good. And, you know, all through the thing, we were testing stuff. I mean, and to be honest, the network like the New York QA team. Fantastic team. And which is also why I, I appreciate them. They want to talk a little trash, wanted to say how their team would smoke us. I was like, that's fun. Let's ship this game and we're going to settle this. Right. Yeah. So it was us and a couple San Diego testers yeah. versus New York QA, 8v8. We played uh, race to five in game modes. Right. Yeah. Cause you could do like playlists that just kind of randomly gave you game modes. Yep. And what's really funny is Chris Roberts, like through all of our, our play tests and everything, Chris Roberts was fine at the game, not that great, but he purposely always handicapped himself because if you remember, Red Dead had the little auto assist, like you could soft lock onto somebody. You like lock onto the body and then like flick the stick and headshot. They had allowed online, <laughs> which, you know, what, whatever. Chris Roberts never played with it, never turned it on. I, of course, abused the shit out of it whenever we were <laughs> testing anything. So New York QA is like auto snap off. I just start laughing. I was like, okay, this is fine. Chris Roberts has been in the hyperbolic time chamber just <laughs> training with this mode. And all of a sudden, the guy that is usually at like the mid to bottom of the scoreboard yeah. is just smoking people. <laughs> he just so nothing changed for him. He's like, oh, are we playing the same game? Did, did I break something? Yeah, I think the, the final score was San Diego 5, New York. I don't remember the score, but I don't think they got more than two. You know, my hometown is New York, right? But... I was signed to San Diego, bro. So <laughs> you guys always made me proud. In fact, pretty much whatever team you were on was in good hands, man. Even Troy, Troy was solid. The whole, the whole multiplayer team. Like, you I guys, mean, it's what we did, right? Yeah. You guys day in, day out working on that shit. Getting good. 
we had some good times there. You and I, CB, we developed, <laughs> we got pretty close there. We brought like Street Fighter to it. We, we built a little team. We had fight nights at each other's cribs. We had cross studio rivalries where we took oh. our championship belt across over to THQ. Wonderful times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just touch on that real quick, because I don't know about you, but in my head, it's the coolest feeling like in the world. But if you were like a bystander on the street, it probably looks so dumb. So we were playing Street Fighter 4 had come out and we played basketball on Fridays with like High Noon and THQ. And word got around that we had a solid fighting game squad. And THQ was like, yo, we do too. Mm-hmm. And we're like, great, we're going to settle this. So I just remember we got off work we load into Shripan's minivan, <laughs> right? And the seats are like ripped out in the back of this thing. Oh, yeah. Like, we're going to war. We roll up. Shripan's going 100. He's really doing the speed limit. But in my head, it's way cooler, right? Yes. And the van yes. door slides open. And in my head, we just like, dude, smoke comes out. We're like amazing. And it's just like. Our music. Yeah. Right? Probably, we got entrance music. Next music or NWO. Absolutely. And people on the street are like, what are these nerds? What are they carrying? <laughs> and we had our rock star leather jackets. You know, yes. with our last names on there. <laughs> yeah, our names on them. <laughs> oh my God. It was the, the corniest in the best way. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. we smoked them. At their house. At their, their house. Studio, in their sweet playroom. Man, their playroom was awesome. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Like you said, competition makes you better. The, the, the better the person you play against, the better you get. So you always definitely made me better. A lot of people can say Rockstar, hard work, you know, you put in a lot of time, it goes right into the game. This is a game that's touched by millions of players. So, you know, it's a proportional time investment to the legend that is the games that Rockstar makes and having our names be on there. Somehow to balance this out, we were pretty good with our like four o'clock, 420 breaks to go <laughs> and play. Yeah, We had like a main cabinet yep. in the game room and there was a lot of street fighter ce oh championship edition holds a very special place in my heart that game is not balanced at all but oh do i love it <laughs> we found what looked to be like nba jam before nba jam was a thing or before like street Magic hoops. Larry Bird. street hoops which looked to be like an off-brand knockoff three on three and man it wasn't a good day if we didn't get to play some street hoops and ce you felt it. You felt it, right? Like something was off that day. It's like pent yeah. up. You go home and take it out in your home music. Like, it was something I look forward to every day. And it was a great reset button, you know? Like you're stuck in some shit. Some shit is not compiling. Yeah. You can't figure out this damn A bug. It was so nice when you would stand up for me at desk, give me the nod, yo, it's time, or vice versa. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, I, I really want to figure this out. But oh, I'm so happy to step away from this, right? Right. And then forget everything and just enter the arena with the homie, <laughs> win, lose, or draw, <laughs> come back to the desk and be like, oh, that was awesome. What the hell was I at? Oh, this this is easy now after that. Right. Shit. It's funny because if you listen to what you just said, you know, you have this, no, I want to finish this. I'm like right there. And then you forget what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And if we stop right there. That sounds terrible. Mm -hmm. But then when you come back, what actually happens is, yeah, you did forget everything you were doing, but it wasn't working. So you forgot all the wrong stuff, right? And now you force yourself to re-go through the problem because you got to remember where you were because legitimately you do forget where you were at. (laughs) But in taking those steps to get back to that point, there's a chance that you don't get stuck because you go left instead of right in retracing your steps and then you blow past the problem. 
I mean, there is totally a chance that you take all the same steps and you end up at the same <laughs> problem and you're like, shit, I'm still stuck. Yes. But that reset and like not banging your head against the wall is really important. Hell yeah, dude. Bringing that fresh perspective, taking that walk. And also it feels like a game studio when you get to go play some games. And plus that, ro- that room on a Friday, man, was always a party. Because I mean, Rockstar Table Tennis, Rockstar San Diego made that. And because of that, you had killers oh, that could play table, table tennis. tennis. Yeah, I mean, my table tennis skills are because Raphael Phillips. Raph. I taught him Guilty Gear. He taught me table tennis. I got to get him on the show. Uh, you absolutely do. You think I have stories. Raph has stories. But that room, yeah. And then you had foosball. I mean, people were real competitive in foosball. Yeah, that's right. You're trying to play on the main cabinet. You're trying not to get spiked with Aaron, ping pong balls flying around. You got the foosball guys just yelling. It just is the best. That was a good time, bro. Good times. Eventually, you get an opportunity from a homie and you make the decision that it's time for you to see new opportunities, take your skills mm-hmm. elsewhere. How do you arrive to that point? What's the thought process going into that? We made it through Red Dead. And at the time, we were working on GTA 5. You know, Danny and I talked about it. You know, Rockstar talked to us about Crunch. We got like a nice long break, everything like that. We're like, cool. If we start seeing this happen again, mm-hmm. I think we need to look elsewhere, right? We're seasoned at this point. So you can kind of see the writing on the wall a little bit. Danny got an offer, went off to Bungie. Made the move to Seattle before any of us. Yep. And then Mike Currington approached. Mike Currington, who was your mentor, boss, yep. and on, at your initial tech interview. Right. Came and approached me and was like, hey, a couple of the old Midnight Club guys are leaving and we're starting up a studio. We want you to join us. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't know. And I called up Danny and told him about it. And he was like, you have to leave right now. He's like, do not miss this opportunity. Hey, bro. Yeah. I mean, I would say that that's the type of opportunity that you don't even have to think about, right? Like you kind of know you're in good hands with a mentor that's kind of shown you a lot, you can continue to learn from in a, was it kind of a startup, you know, with it talk? Yeah. Like, how was, it was that structured? A, it was a startup. We were trying, and I will say you absolutely should always think about it because spoilers, studio got shut down. The security of like a big studio. Rocks are still pumping, right? Rockstar's like it's going, going it's going nowhere yeah. except making quality games. Yeah. We started up a studio. This was Tiny Giant. Yeah. Tiny Giant. At the time, we're going to bring AAA quality games to Facebook and mobile. Yeah, remember Facebook gaming? That was a thing. And what that taught us is that if you don't understand how microtransactions work, your game's not going to be great. This is what it took to survive that wave, right? Yep. We made Carnage Racing, which we were like, what if Midnight Club was more cartoony and had like Diddy Kong Racing power-ups? Uh-huh. It was a fun game. It wasn't the best, but it was also made to be played in like Facebook sessions. It was like you could play it networks. It was great for the time. But our like home there is like nobody wanted to microtransact anything because they were like, whatever, the game's fun. And then they're just done. And so then we put it on mobile and we let you play with the first two vehicles. You could choose one of the two and you could play only the first two races and then you had to pay two ninety nine to unlock the rest, right? Uh-huh. Except for the fact that we let you play online. And people were like, I don't need to upgrade shit. The game's so fun. I'll just play with the base shit and just play online with people. And that's all anyone ever did. You still get the core game experience. But you got you guys weren't running ads or anything like that. 
There was no other monetization. This was all super new. This was before Zynga. Zynga was quick on the take. They pioneered how like mobile gaming worked and like they understood that stuff. We came at it from a very gameplay focused. Yeah, we just want to make like a, a great game, put it on mobile and people will buy this. No, they won't. So that was your first foray into like mobile gaming. Yep. Tiny Giant imploded. Yep. Yeah, we were around for two and a half years, three years. That's a solid run. That's a yeah. solid run. And you're back on the market. You're a free agent looking for work. And you go through the gauntlets. And of all the offers, you end up taking a sweet offer to make the move up to Seattle at Fifth Cell. Correct. Talk to me about what Fifth Cell was like. What was what were you doing? What was the role? Yeah, so I went up to Fifth Cell as a technical designer. Rocking the TD hat. Yeah, at that point, it was an interesting transition, I think, at the time where we all started to scatter from Rockstar, technical designer was becoming a more like accepted industry role. You know, your designers have programming chops. They like understand these things. And that, that's what I advertise myself as. So anytime you saw a tech designer role, you're like, all right, that's me. Or I would just apply for a gameplay engineer or I would apply for a gameplay designer and be like, I know you kind of said this, but how about this? Hey, that's a good tip, man. Sometimes it works. Sometimes people are like, this isn't what we're looking for. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. a great tip. I think a lot of people today get caught up in the job role, the name of description, you know, without even reading into descriptions and lose out, right? They're like, oh, that's not me. That's not what they're looking for. So I like what you're doing. Let them say no. Let them say no. Yeah. Make the, make the application, get your resume in the door, author it however you need to author it so that it matches what they're looking for. But you know, advertise your skills that are answering the problems that they're truthfully. Yes. Don't uh, don't don't tailor things because I'll tell you right now, you you'll get found out real quick. Well, what I mean by tailoring is, hey, if they're looking for a gameplay programmer and you come from a tech design background, but ninety percent of the things they're asking you to do, you can do right. Mm -hmm. Like All right, right, right. I'm I'm a gameplay programmer, right? Like sure, and make sure you know your vector math when you go into those interviews. That's all you need to do. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I get a job at Fifth Cell. I'm working there seven months into Fifth Cell. Studio starts having some problems and it's looking like Fifth Cell might not make it. I'm starting to feel like I'm the, the harbinger of death for studios yeah, now because I go. just left the studio that shut down and now I just joined another studio and it's kind of a little rocky. Luckily for me, I end up one of the lead engineer there was talking with some people and starting up a, another studio. And my cubicle mate was going to go work for them, but he decided that he didn't want to leave or didn't want to like work for them for whatever reason. But he was like, hey, talk to Chris. He can do what you're looking for yeah. if you still need somebody. And he talked to me and was like, do you want to you want to do this? And I was like, sure, this sounds great. Like, let's try this again. So we go to startup uh, number three now or I guess startup number two. So we went there and we were doing mobile games again. So, you know, I had some experience there and that lasted for like two years. And really, like, honestly, the the whole point of like this at that time was, you know, after Tiny Giant finished, Danny was like, yo, find a job in Seattle. He's like, I can't hire you right now. I don't know when I'm going to be able to hire you. But if you live in Seattle, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier. Right. Mm. And so the, the idea was just to be up and around. And like the vibe is 
much different in Seattle than it is in San Diego. It's like you throw a stone, you're going to hit a developer up here. 100%, man. This is one of the biggest hubs, if not the biggest hub. It's easy to just meet people like either just like randomly up or just talking to people. You find out they're developers or, you know, like Danny's circle, whatever. Like you just start hanging out with other developers. So it was always good to just be around. And then, yeah, when NC2 is kind of finishing up at, at that time, Danny was like, hey, do you want to come interview a Polyarch now? And I was like, yup, that was yeah. the plan. You just had to bide your time. Damn, CB, it's a wild ride, brother. We definitely got so many more stories to share with the masses, and I don't want to rush the magic. We'll call this chapter one of the CB stories, <laughs> and there, there'll be more to come for sure. The beauty of of our friendship is exactly that, right? Like, I know you, and, and you get to come on the show whenever the hell it makes sense with your schedule. Sounds good. You give me the signal and we'll hit the lightning round. Lightning round. Let's do it. What is your favorite game of all time? Guilty Gear Accent Core. Just because played an Evo a bunch with it. Ended up 17th at one point. 17th in the world at Evo. Hell yeah. I mean, it was just a side tournament, so I don't know if all the killers were there, but still, doesn't matter. It counts. It's in the record books. Who's your character? I played Potemkin, big burly man that had way too much damage and way too much flexibility in combos. But I mean, everybody was broken in that game. It was great. What's the last game you finished? Death's Door. And it's going to be game of the year this year. I'm calling it now. Calling it now? Game of the year 2021? I loved it. Yeah, 2021, Death's Door is my game of the year. It was magical from start to finish. I don't think there's one thing I could say that they did wrong in that game. How would you pitch it to someone who's not familiar with it? a slightly more hardcore Zelda. Mm -hmm. It has all the key beats, all the fun elements of a Zelda game with almost like a Souls-like combat. Not as punishing, but definitely harder than Zelda's combat. Okay. And then, you know, just like RPG upgrade mechanics and stuff. Working from home, I never thought I'd do this shit. I never thought it'd become a regular thing in the industry. What's the favorite part about working from home, CP? Oh man, no commute. I hate driving. Bro, that's like 10% back to our day, man. It's great because time to go to work, I walk downstairs. Time to be done for the day, I walk upstairs. Need a break in the middle of the day, I walk my ass upstairs and chill out on the deck and hit that reset. And it's so easy. Also, like the flexibility in scheduling becomes so much easier as well. Like Polyarch is really, really good about allowing employees to like flex their time mm. and stuff. So, you know, Rebecca has appointments and someone has to watch Amelia. It's easy for me to be like, hey, I need to be out for two hours. And then once she goes down for bed, I just walk back downstairs, hop on the computer, work for a couple hours and then go into the like the den and just watch some TV before we go to bed. Right. Like just the flexibility is so nice. Hell yeah, man. Speaking of flexibility and the magic of that 4 p.m. break makes me wonder if I need to get on your calendar, a little 15-minute play break every 4 p.m., jump on some online street hoops or some madness like this, man, or some CD, I need to make that happen. You've been warned. What's crazy with that is the director role. I'm probably in a meeting then. Uh -uh. It's like, like, it's so much harder to, like, work these things in because, you know, you put these, I say flexibility, it's like we then have to, like, juggle meetings around and 
try to set up appointments on these days is like, I know I don't have meeting these days. This is when you should try to schedule all your appointments. But if we can play street hoops online, we got to find that. We got to find it. That's a good call out, man. Directors, you know, a big part of that role and job is what do we call it? Calendar Tetris, right? Like I've never heard it called meetings. that. <laughs> <laughs> like the blocks are falling, right? Where you got yeah, when you look in. at the Google, everyone on the Google calendar is different colors too. Yeah. So yeah, calendar Tetris. I like that. So that's it, man. That's what you're making those big bucks for. So imagine your polyar contract or expires or whatever, and you're up for free agency and you can go anywhere, play for any team, work on any project, work on any IP, franchise, whatever. Do you resign? Where would you go if you could? What would you want to be? I think I'm without shadow of doubt in my mind. I'm resigning, you know. You're going for, you're going for the three-peat. You're going for the back-to-back -back championships. Technically, we never, we lost out game of the year to Astrobot. So we're still looking for the first ring. Uh, we were close. We were close. at the, we were yeah, at the you made it to the finals. You made yeah. it to the finals. No, man, I'm, I'm having so much fun. Polyarch honestly has been the greatest place I've worked in my career. I love my coworkers. I love the flexibility that the studio gives me and like the trust that they've put in me. There's no reason, and I can't think of a reason why I'd want to go anywhere else. Oh, yeah. That's awesome to hear, brother. I'm glad you found your place, finally, after being the angel of death, just closing <laughs> down startup after startup, man. No. I'm surprised they gave you a shot. Jeez. No. <laughs> We're in that scarlet letter hardcore, but I'm glad they took the <laughs> no. chance, man. It seems like it's paying off. <laughs> if you weren't doing this, if you weren't a game developer, what would you be doing, man? What else would you be doing to make money? Oh, so... Being a streamer sounds exhausting, and I actually don't think that'd be great. The other backup growing up, I was going to be a lawyer. Oh, yeah. I could see you arguing to death. Nice. Yeah, yeah dude. I could see you running a court and, and stringing a jury along. You fight for the good guy. I think it's smarter that way. Mm -hmm. Just like as long as I don't end up like Harvey Dent, right? Like you got to be like, there's like a line. Like I'm not trying to take too high profile cases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a different look for you, man, but I like it. <laughs> it's alternate dimension Barasa, but it'd still be as intimidating as like fighting game tournament Barasa, I'm sure. Ask the question, what if? What if? Yeah, yeah. You watching that, by the way? Yeah, we're, we're a little behind trying to get caught up tonight. Something most people either don't know about you or would be surprised to know. I would say, and this is something I discovered about myself because of my lovely wife. I like musicals way more than... I would have given myself credit for or anyone that has met me would believe, but I love musicals. That was a great discovery, my friend. That was a funny, funny discovery when, when that happened, when you met your lovely <laughs> wife. You're like, yo, bro, I'm about the Wicked. I'm about, what, what, are, yeah, what are some of your favorites? I, I think Wicked's top. Hamilton's good. Hamilton word. Why are all the dice quicks dying was a really funny one. Those are some great recommendations to somebody. It's like, all right, I want to get into musicals. Or I want to. Yeah. If you want to get into musicals, go watch Wicked. That's the one. I like, I like Book of Mormon. I still haven't seen it. We were supposed, we were supposed to go uh, and then game. COVID happened. What's the last book you read? Man versus Baby. You know, Baby on the Way. I was trying to figure, figure this yes. parenting thing out because, yo, they don't come with instruction manuals. Those, yeah, you're trying to get those and guides. And this was like, it was like a super highly rated book because it was nice because it wasn't written in a way of like, hey, this is what you do. It was just this guy recanting his experience of his first two years with his child. It was just very funny. I really enjoyed it. It was but yeah, very easy I, to read, relatable too for any yeah, person. Yeah, I, I honestly don't 
read too much. Like reading books for enjoyment is not necessarily what I do. Like I will read strategy guides mm-hmm. or like frame data from reading <laughs> something for yeah, games. Yeah. But scroll Reddit forever. Yeah. 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 No, it's a great book. Great recommendation. I appreciate it. Right. There's a few of us out there that are entering into that foray eventually. So that's a good book to keep in mind. Name for me three dinner guests you would love to have over and they could be dead or alive. Interesting. So I think I got to like spread the like areas around. Right. So I'm going to bring I think I'll bring someone like industry related. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring like an entertainment related. And then I like sports. I'll bring like sports related. Solid plan. So I think Moyamoto gets to to come industry related, right? Like you just got to talk. He's like the Godfather, right? Indeed, he is. Entertainment wise, yo, I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. Top Gun, huh? Yeah. So we'll get Tom Cruise and sports related. You know, we'll bring in Tom Brady. Tom Brady, bam, solid. I got twenty. I got twenty years of solid football <laughs> bragging rights right there. And you know what? The Patriots can be terrible for the next 20 years doesn't matter during the the prime time i had it yeah you did man yeah you did yeah that's solid all right brother last one of this segment then we'll wrap it up what's something that you would go back and tell young barasa if you can go back in time and give yourself any words of wisdom knowing what you know now slow down slow down just calm down and honestly i probably received this advice from like high school teachers and throughout my life i've probably heard it and just didn't listen so i don't know if i'd even listen to future me but maybe because <laughs> it's future me i'll listen yeah, but yeah i think slow down be intentful with what you're doing understand all the things that you're doing don't just do things to do them right like be really like slow down and be intentful that resonates right like uh when you're young, you're trying to like grow up. Uh, can't wait to get my license. Can't wait to be an adult. Can't wait to get my own place. Can't wait to get the hell out of here. Things like this, right? Like, so slow down. I guess the West Coast is good for that. Yeah. If you had a good time falling out of the play area, is there anyone you would nominate to fall out of the play area behind you? I, for selfish reasons, would love. Those are the best. To have you sit down and interview Mike Carrington. Mike Currington. I definitely love that nomination because there's so much I don't know about that man. And he's an OG. He's been in the industry since what? Like he worked at Rare, right? He did like Yo, Diddy Kong Killer Racing. Instinct 2 Killer was Instinct. his first game. Yeah, guy's got racing games, fighting games, open world game. Jeez. Done it all. Done it all. I love that recommendation. Before you go, is there any last words you have out there for the audience? Or where can they reach you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they see what you're working on? What's coming out next? If you want to reach me, listen to me complain about Guilty Gear Balance or whatever shows I'm watching, you can find me at at Barasa86. Other than that, just keep playing games. Have fun. You know, talking about the importance of networking, under, like keeping those contacts, you know, remembering, remembering who you work with, people down the road. It's always good to be, to be friendly to everybody, right? Don't burn your bridges. Make your work speak for itself, but then also be personable. Rule number one, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Yeah, my bad. I was being a dick, bro. It. Just be nice to people. Even at work, man, it tempers will rise. It's Pat will be passionate about an idea or a feature and you get defensive on it. Yeah. Uh, learning to respectfully disagree. 
that one and like to not take things personally, that's tough, but it's important, right? At the end of the day, everyone is on the same team. Everyone's passionate about things. That's the thing. And, and it's okay to disagree sometimes. That's the thing. That's the thing that always, you can always fall back on, right? It's like, hey, you all want the project to be the best that it could be. You are all on the same team. It is everybody's interest that the game is the best that it can be. So the fuck what that it's not your idea, right? Like absolutely simple yet deep and profound. That that's how I would sum it up. Hell yeah, brother! Thank you so much, CB. It was a blast having you. Glad to finally do this thing. Bring you. We're talking the about seat. it for a while. For a damn while, man. We barely scratched the surface of this massive iceberg underneath the water. You know that that's how it goes, man. Yeah. Oh, this is this has been fantastic. You know, thank you for having me on. I'm an avid listener, so it's cool, cool right. to get to finally be on the show. There'll be more to come in the future. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Peace. Could you tell I was having a bit too much fun kicking it with Chris? These are the best. These interviews where you just forget about the fact that it's an interview and we're both just having a conversation. I knew most of his details. There's a few details there before I met him at Rockstar on his internship, his time at Full Sail, getting that interview, and then even when he was doing up here in Seattle in between getting to Polyarch. It's special to meet people who know exactly what they want to do from an early age and are just able to kind of put the blinders on and will not be deterred by sheer force of will to bring their dream to light. Talk about the power of community and networking. He and his boy D putting the work in to make a community around Midnight Club 2 actually attracted the developers whom gave him that key contact in Devin Hammock that would eventually be responsible for getting his resume in front of the hiring manager at Rockstar San Diego, Sarah Schaefer at the time. I mean, these days there's discords for damn near every interest that you can rest assured have people that know people that can help put you on if you come to them with that positive energy looking to help. In addition to that, I thought a helpful nugget was the bit about taking breaks, stepping away from your desk, going out to clear your head, getting some air, reconnecting, stepping away, and the power that it has to help you come back with some fresh insight to solve a problem that may be kind of stressing you out. That and the way I miss taking them 420 breaks, throwing down one-on-one -on, -one on Street Fighter CE or Street Oops or what have you, right? It could be ping pong or something like that. Speaking of, I'm ready for that Street Fighter 6 and seeing if that lures my old Fight Club homies back on the sticks and online to throw down and establish that pecking order once again. How many of y'all have played Moss 1? How many of y'all picking up Moss 2 or planning on it? On episode 31 of Out of Play Area, debuting on Monday, April the 25th, we sit down with Ben Rattan, an AI and encounter designer working at Hangar 13. He and I crossed paths back at Midway Austin, where we both worked on Criminal before Midway went under. Since then, he's gone on to do some amazing things around the industry, working on damn near every type of game to where he is today. Make sure to follow us so that you don't miss out on that episode. Thank you for listening, Deb. If you found this episode informative, I ask that you pay a link forward to a developer to help grow our listener community. If you're a game developer with a story you think could help a fellow dev out, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to meet up. Please make sure you get approval from your manager or studio's PR or HR team beforehand. 
Out of Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast, releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Please make sure to follow us to see what developer falls out of the play area next time. I'm your host, John Diaz. Until next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. Mega Ran, bring them home. Fight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Captain crew, please take your seats. We are now about to enter the out-of-play area. Yeah. If you can't reach me, I apologize. Since we out of play, I never compromise. John NYC, no, we got the vibe. Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe. Out-of-play area podcast. Out-of-play, out-of-play area podcast. We got Something for the game devs Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous Had to switch the styles for a challenge Best thing out of Harlem since Young Miles Morales A new podcast comes to provide the balance With game dev veterans and rising talents Out of play Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast A show by game devs for game devs With no ads, no BS, just the real Welcome to the Out of Play Area